0: At chapter 3. And because of time and, and the topic tonight, uh, when I was studying, began to study this text, I was, my plan was to preach on the first five verses. I mean, if you look at Jeremiah, it is a long book. And uh, I don't know, I, you know, I think we're going to be preaching this till the Lord comes. Uh, so I'm trying to get as big a chunks as I can. So I was planning on doing five verses. Verses 1 through 5, but the more I got into it, it's like, I'm going to need... So tonight we're just going to look at verse 1. Jeremiah chapter 3 and verse 1, and then that'll set up the context for next week. So hopefully, hopefully I plan that right, uh, because I have a feeling if we tried to do all five, it would just be too much. So uh, we're going to look at just verse 1, but I'm going to read the first five verses to keep that context. So let's all stand for the reading of God's Word. Jeremiah chapter 3... Uh, verses one through five. The Bible says, "They say, if a man put away his wife and she go from him and become become another man's, shall he return unto her again? Shall not that land be greatly polluted? But thou hast played the harlot with many lovers, yet return again to me," saith the Lord. Lift up thine eyes unto the high places, and see where thou hast not been lined with. In the ways, in the ways hast thou sat for them, as the Arabian in the wilderness, and thou hast polluted the land with thy whoredoms and with thy wickedness. Therefore, the showers have been withholden, and there hath been no latter rain. And thou hast, uh, thou hast a, a whore's forehead. Thou refusest to be ashamed. Wilt thou not from this time cry unto me? My Father, thou art the guide of my youth. Will he reserve his anger forever? Will he keep it to the end? Behold, thou hast spoken and done evil things as thou couldst. May God bless his word, and let's bow together in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray today that you would minister to uh, many in our church that are going through various things. Um, of course, Lord, we think uh, and I pray for Nancy and I pray for um, Lori and those that have lost uh, their husbands. Pray that you would comfort them. I pray for those that are going through various trials. Joanne Tomkowitz, pray that you just encourage her and and Ed and and just be with them in a very special way. I pray for Peg. I pray you'd encourage her heart, and I pray that she would be able to get that brace off this week and that it would be a big blessing. I pray, Father, that you would use this new roommate, believer. We praise you for that, Father, in the context of just providing another believer in Christ. Pray that you would encourage her, and we pray also for David that you would bless and encourage David's heart. and um, May they be a blessing, and may they be used of you as well. Father, as we direct our attention to your word, we thank you for the scriptures. Thank you, Father, that it is food. It is heavenly manna for us uh, to to feed us, to feed our souls. And we thank you that we can be fed tonight your word. I pray, Father, that it would provide the nourishment uh, so that we might have the energy and the blessing and the the being equipped to serve you this week. We don't know what's going to happen this week. We don't know what's ahead for us. You already know. And so, Father, the, this text, the thing we're preaching on tonight, uh, is of Thee, and, and You know exactly what we need ahead of time, uh, and You anticipate uh, what we're going to be going through. So, Lord, I pray that You'd use this message and help us not be uh, quick to forget it, so that when that need arises, that we would have to glean and go back to these truths, that they would be fresh on our mind. And we ask Your blessing now, in Jesus' precious name, amen. amen. And you may be seated. Uh, remember God said to Israel or Judah you' have forsaken me the fountain of living waters and you've your you've they've heed themselves out cut themselves out broken cisterns that can hold no water uh, and and praise the Lord you and I are drinking at the fountains of living water happy now am I my soul they satisfy Judah could not sing that uh, because they were not drinking at the springs of living water they were parched uh, and because of their false, uh, religion, their idol worship, uh, anything they were trying. It was like they were trying to satisfy their souls. They're trying to drink water, spiritual water, but they had broken cisterns. They weren't worshiping God. They weren't getting the source of living waters. And we can do the same thing, can't we? We really can. So Jeremiah chapter 3, uh, we are going to look just at worst, uh, worst, verse 1. And Thank you. The title of the message. Let me present that. It is on, Tala'ala. It is on. Okay. Um, is strolling back to God, or I was going to call it um, returning to God casually. Let me explain why. This, this whole scenario of, of tonight and then what next week's text, first five verses, is the Lord is again really keeping the same themes as chapter 2. Um, he is communicating uh, all the themes and imagery that is in chapter 2, uh, this whole idea of a relationship and and that they were being unfaithful to the Lord, spiritual idolatry, he continues with all that. But he really emphasizes now in chapter 3, up to the first four verses of chapter 4, he seems to focus on this a new Hebrew word. If you remember, uh, up till now there's been a Hebrew word, Uh, We've called it the rib pattern. R-I-B is the Hebrew word. And it is literally, it's a legal term uh, for like a charge or a legal accusation. And God was accusing them, kind of in reply to them accusing God, as if God had done something wrong. And then God brings charges against them, uh, and he goes back and forth. Well, now he's going to move into using another Hebrew word, uh, for the word turn. This, this seems to be a, a big theme. He's kind of alluded to it. It's been mentioned or referred to in various verses in verse 19 and 24 and 35 of chapter 2. But this is going to be a major theme now in Jeremiah's, in God's message through Jeremiah. And, and the idea of turning uh, has to do in various ways, it can mean to turn away, like apostatize which is what Judah had done. It can mean turning back to the Lord in repentance, which is what Jeremiah was challenging Judah to do. And even this term will come up in Jeremiah as uh, returning to the land, which would be God's message later on. So this is a big theme throughout the book of Jeremiah that he seemed to pick up with here. And so he's talking about challenging God's people. You need to get back with the Lord. You need to turn back to Him again. They had um, they had religion. Their religion was characterized uh, really with it was kind of a emerging. It really was. They were just enamored by the the pagan Canaanite idols, but they they wanted to, as we say, have your cake and eat it too. And so they they kind of adopted it into their religion. And they still went through different motions and said, oh yeah, we're following Yahweh, we're following Him. But then they were really, really practicing idolatry. And, and you know, the sexual immorality and all the things that were part of the Canaanite religion, uh, they were able to adopt it. And, and how about that? They didn't even need to give up Jehovah in their mind. <laughs> you know, they could have their cake and they could eat it too. And now, now in verse 1 of chapter 3, Jeremiah, the Lord, brings them back to a passage that we actually have studied recently during our Bible study when when Charlie was away. We've been talking about hermeneutics, and I think that one will kind of carry on for a while. Uh, When Charlie's away, that's going to be our theme for a while. Uh, But we've been looking at hermeneutics, and we looked at, just as an example we looked at this text that we're going to look at tonight that Jeremiah is referring to. Deuteronomy chapter 24. Now, don't turn there just yet. But Jeremiah chapter 24, even in Jeremiah's day, was a big big scripture, a big part of the law. It was a big rule for them. They understood that God had communicated. And it's about marriage, divorce, remarriage. So it was... It was something that hit home. It was something that, you know, God was entering into a situation in Deuteronomy 24 where it's it's like this. It's like he's, we got a mess on our hands here with the the way Israel has been living. Um, You know, they've totally just, their hearts are hardened. Uh, What I originally intended for marriage, they have not been honoring and they, they, it's so messed up. And so God began to rein in, if we can look at it this way, by giving them some guidance in Deuteronomy chapter twenty-four. And we're gonna we're gonna go back to it. In fact, those of you few that uh, were here during some of the recent Bible studies that we did on hermeneutics, this will be a re- uh, you know rehearsal for you. But I feel like it's important enough uh, to address this in the message because Jeremiah used God uses this, uh, and apparently this this was a text. That when, you know, when Jeremiah mentioned it, all the Jews were on board. They knew exactly what he was talking about. And, and by the way Jeremiah words it, they're going to reply a certain way, and he wanted them to. He's preparing for them. He was going to make an application. But, the, you know, after Jeremiah passed off the scene, after they went into Babylonian captivity, and then the 400 silent years, uh, when you study the Talmud and you study the teachings... Deuteronomy chapter 24, I think it was the first four verses, maybe five, first four verses. They had become hotly contested. Everybody and their brother had a take on Deuteronomy chapter 24. And even the different uh, branches, the different rabbis, the different schools uh, of the Jewish religion, they all had different takes on Deuteronomy chapter 24. Now, what we looked at in our Bible study was in Matthew 5 and Matthew 19 and Mark and Luke, uh, Jesus addresses the issue of, remember the Pharisees asked him a question uh, about divorce and remarriage? And, uh, and what he was doing, he was, he was addressing the hotly debated issue that was going on in that day, his day. He was being asked to comment on that. I did not know that for years. I did not know that, uh, and I've read so many interpretations on Matthew five and Matthew nineteen and all the different, you know, all the different things. And I never read uh, until until one commentator and, and brought out that in the Jewish writings, uh, it's clear in the Jewish history and tradition, this was a hotly debated issue. And then when you study Matthew 5 and you study Jesus, you realize that's what he was addressing. So we're going to go back and look at that. First of all, to, to find out what, what was God saying in Deuteronomy chapter 24, and then why is Jeremiah bringing it up here in verse 1? And then we're going to make the application you know, to, to God's people. And again, it has to do with marriage and divorce, has to do with human relationships, because that's what God was in with Israel he was in a relationship he entered a covenant relationship with them and we all understand and we all you know relationships are so important to us God designed us to be relational to need people Uh, that's why he created marriage he created marriage between one man and one woman and originally he designed it to be for life but he knew that people we need people People need one another. And that's why he, one of the reasons, one of the things he fulfills in the church is this idea, uh, remember, I, did, I had this on my notes this morning uh, as we were talking about encouragement. So, uh, Ephesians 4, you're going to hear this, I lo- this verse has become like maybe my theme verse for the church. Um, and it's really one of those word, word like it's really wordy. From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth. Remember that? And I'm just quoting part of it now because my mind's blanking out. But that is such a beautiful summary of a healthy church. The whole body, like the church is a body, fitly joined together, just like all our human parts, and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the factual working of every part unto the edifying of the body. I'm paraphrasing now, I'm missing a little. Unto the edifying of the body. So when when all the parts are working and we are in relationship, healthy relationship, we are encouraging one another. The church, the whole body, is edified. That's a sign of a healthy church. I was just noticing, Charlie comments on this a lot after prayer or after our business meetings. And, I, and it reminded me, and I was talking to my wife, and I said, praise the Lord. We just had a business meeting Wednesday. Once again, what a sweet spirit. What a sweet spirit. We're conducting business, answering questions. And, and folks, God, we have generally had very precious business meetings for 30 years. And I have heard stories. <laughs> I told you the one, and, and they're not all this bad, but I've heard stories that, the, the one friend of mine that's pastor in greensburg his first it, it, first pastorate was a youth pastorate at another church in a different state and um a fight broke out at a business meeting and two of the de- deacons got in a fist fight uh and, and a 70 year old deacon who was in his 70s got punched or something uh, and it all had to do with something petty and you know you hear all these things and and i just i praise god that you know, we've had a you know, we're not a perfect church. In fact, I don't think there is one on this side of glory. But but praise God, we we have love. We're an encouragement to one another, God's people are ministering to one another. And that's a blessing. God designed it to be that way. We God has designed the Christian life not to be a solo effort, but to be the body of Christ, working together. So that was a tangent. Um, so let's just jump right in. We're going to see three things based on verse 1. And number one is the context. Uh, they say, and the King James Version has a, uh, in the margins, which not all, many, most of the King James versions no longer keep those original margins, which is really a shame. Um, just like they do not keep the preface. By the way, can I go on another tangent? I heard a preacher recently say, uh, and and it would that would be like a re- response to what I was doing on what say at the translators and you say the um, the preface to the King James version is not given by inspiration of God and I would say Amen I never claimed it was but it does articulate the philosophy of the translators when they were translating and there's so much gunk associated with the King James version now because people have lost that uh, and because of some false teaching out there. People are embracing some very radical views. but that's So anyway, the, the marginal note in the King James Version next to James chapter 3 and verse 1 has to do with this first phrase, they say. And the margin, it'll say they say, and then it says Hebrew because the King James translators understood they were King James translators. They were translating. Uh, so the original text was, was in Hebrew. It was given by inspiration of God in Hebrew, the Old Testament, some in Aramaic. And so they were translating it. And they understood when you translate, it's not always, it can't be word for word because some things would not make sense. Charlie mentioned that this morning. And so it says, in the King James Version in the margin, it says, they say, and then they say the Hebrew is saying. So, and now there's two things in this text, verse one, that we want to look at. First of all, It started out, not necessarily saying, like we would say, you know what they say, he's referring to Deuteronomy chapter 24. And he's going back to that saying. And then when he's all done, and we'll look at this at the end, the last three words, saith the Lord. Now we see that statement a lot of times in Scripture. But the Hebrew is written in, in, uh, and by the way, all of Jeremiah is, is prose, which would just be like writing without any rhyme or meter, just sentences and paragraphs, and then and then poetry. And so there's a lot of poetry in Jeremiah. And, um, and, and so sometimes you don't get that unless you're reading the Hebrew. But this last statement, saith the Lord, is not like your typical, you know, this is what the Lord's saying. The idea has to be, this is the Lord's declaration, or... Um, literally it could be Yahweh's affirmation. So he's really, in fact, this is why we stopped. We're going to stop tonight. We're not going to go past verse 1 because we really want to look at verse 1 because the wording of the text, God wants the people of Israel to get hold of this, to understand what he is saying. And he's he's challenging them in this whole thing. I want you to turn back to me. Turn back to me. To me, but don't do it casually. I don't want you strolling back to me like, uh, you know, like a laissez faire. Oh, I'll, I'll, we'll get back to you when we can, Lord. And, and Christians today need to realize that if they're far from God, you need to realize the urgency and the importance and the seriousness. When you stray from God, it is a serious thing. And until you take it seriously, You'll have the attitude, like, like some, well, you know, I'll deal with that when I, when I get a little older. I'll, I'll stroll back to God. I'll eventually end up back there. And, and that is not, that, the way this is worded in verse 1 is that God is saying, you know, he's using this relationship, the husband, the wife, the divorce, and we're going to look at that. But he's saying, at the end, he's saying, and you want to come back to me? At the end of verse 1, he's saying, you want to come back to me? Uh, And there's various ways to look at that, but by the context, he's challenging them to repent. So let's jump in. Uh, Verse one: uh, the first part of uh, the first statement is the context. Then part B: uh, shall not the land be greatly polluted? But thou hast played the harlot. That's the contamination. So the first part of the verse, up until "shall he return again to unto her," is the context. That's we're going to go back to. Deuteronomy 24. Then we see the contamination. That's that second phrase. And then the last phrase, but thou hast played the harlot with many lovers, yet return again to me, saith the Lord. That's the concern. And so let's jump right in. Let's go back now to Deuteronomy chapter 24, just so we can look at the context. And again, this was a huge text over the centuries for Israel. So much so that the scribes and Pharisees Everybody, they would spend. You can just imagine they would spend hours and hours debating the various takes on Deuteronomy 24. It reminds me, in fact, in some of Paul's epistles, where he would talk about, you know, uh, quarrelling and uh, questions, which which gender strifes. Serving the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men. And and they talk about foolish questions. And, And folks, that was the Pharisees and the scribes. And they were trying to bait Jesus in his day into this debate. So, and it all goes back to Deuteronomy 24. So let's look at Deuteronomy 24, beginning in verse 1. When a man hath taken a wife and married her, and it come to pass that she find no favor in his eyes, because he hath found some uncleanness in her, then let him write her a bill of divorcement, and give it in her hand, and send her out of his house. And when she has departed... Out of his house, she may go and be another man's wife. And if the latter husband hate her, and write her a bill of divorcement, and giveth it into her hand, and sendeth her out of his house, or if the latter husband die, which took her away to be his wife, her former husband, which sent her away, may not take her again his wife after she is defiled. For that, now pay attention, because this is what Jeremiah is emphasizing here. That is an abomination before the Lord. And thou shalt not cause the land to sin, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance. So let's look at the context now. And of course, we're going to look at it in light of uh, when Jesus addressed it, when the Pharisees came to him, tempting him. Um, and, And it's interesting because when Deuteronomy 24 was written, this little hermeneutics here, When Deuteronomy 24, verses 1 through 4 or 5 were written, God meant something. He wanted to communicate something. And and like I said before, it was like the Lord is entering into this situation where Israel was... In fact, Jesus would say, because of the hardness of your hearts, he permitted this, going back to this text. So, you know, God is addressing something here because of the hardness of the hearts. They were not living the ideal situation. You know, which would have been one man, one woman for life. That's always been God's standard for life. That's marriage. Marriage is honorable and all, but it was just a mess, and things were so bad, especially for the woman, that God entered in to a situation and he and he addressed the situation, and he actually what would might surprise us is he actually put some things in there to help the women in the situation that they found themselves in. So, um, this text, as we said during our class that time, uh, this this text is telling us three things. Deuteronomy chapter 4. It tells us what it allows. It tells us what it forbids. And it tells us what it causes. First of all, it tells us what it allows. And I made this statement that... Um, we're not. He's not saying that divorce and remarriage are okay in general, and Jesus would address that later on. So, what the law allowed oftentimes, um, the law permits things that are not good because of the culture and the people it is addressing. Uh, for example, slavery. You know, slavery is addressed. It. Addressed in the scriptures, uh, and it's it's talking to slaves, it's talking to masters, and some have misunderstood that. In fact, uh, there was, when I was getting into my Civil War period, um, I, I read some actual reprinted literature uh, from the South, and uh, it is amazing how born again believers in the South tried to justify slavery by using scriptures. Uh, they really they would they just they looked at it, and some would use, some misunderstood that there were times when God would address the issue of slavery just like this. He, he, he was not saying slavery is okay. Never was would God say slavery is okay. He wasn't saying that. Like in the New Testament, he was saying, okay, some of you are in this situation like Paul would write in Corinthians. Some of you are born in bondage, some of you were born free, and then he'd give instruction there. He was not saying that slavery or, or uh, you know, the lack of autonomy or freedom of people was, was wrong. He was not approving of slavery. He was simply addressing something in their situation. And that was the same here. We need to understand that. So what it allowed? Uh, God was allowing something that, uh, divorce, writing a bill of divorcement, which, um, again, was he was addressing, in fact, one, one preacher said, let me get the wording. He said, the law often permits things that are not good because of the culture of the people it is addressing. And that's exactly what was happening here. So when you look at Deuteronomy chapter 24, understand it was addressing something Uh, addressing the great abuses that were going on. So, um, what does it forbid? Now, I've heard so many takes on Deuteronomy 24, but the more I step back and look at it, it's very clear that the thing that it is forbidding, it's not forbidding divorce and then remarrying. It's not even forbidding a second divorce and remarrying. What it is forbidding is, That after you've divorced your first husband and moved on and married another, you cannot go back to that first husband. That's what the text is addressing. And it's important that we don't rip it out of that context. Um, Now, we talked about this, and I want to share, take a few minutes, uh, about possibly why. Now, most of the commentators on Jeremiah, uh, in fact, Jeremiah did not, in Deuteronomy 24, in fact, look at it again, Deuteronomy chapter 24, um, it has phrases like verse 1, he hath found some uncleanness in her, and um, the idea of uh, "there's uh, found no favor in his eyes. See some of these things in, in verse 1. It gives some of the reasons through this. Jeremiah doesn't mention any of that. Because that's not the purpose. And so I'm, I'm, I'm going to share with you about Deuteronomy 24 and why possibly, um, why, why did God forbid? In fact, you know, it's kind of a bizarre thing. Why does God, he, allows, he allowed Israel to divorce and remarry and then he allowed even, even another one, but why was he so emph- emphasizing here? You cannot go back and remarry your first, your first husband. Why was he saying that? And it'd be very easy, and it's been very easy to, for people to speculate. Even the the rabbis speculated. By the way, I, you know, when somebody gets divorced today, there was a couple named David Marine uh, at Bible Baptist in Westchester that when we first started come, going to church got saved. They had been divorced. They got saved, if I remember right, the order. And then they actually had a remarriage ceremony. They, now, they none of them, they didn't get married to anyone else, but... Uh, you know, they were divorced, they were separated, and then they got remarried. And that was such a precious thing, such a blessing. I don't know if you remember that, Jim. No, it was it was just a real sweet thing. So here, God is addressing a specific thing. Um, and now what does it cause? Here's an important point. This was a whole new thing. When, when God instituted De- Deuteronomy chapter 24, they did not have a thing called a bill or a certificate of divorcement. And this was something that God was instituting to try to make sense of this mess that was going on. And, and most people believe that, understand, and you read the context of what was going on, most people believe this was something that needed to be done to protect a woman. I know a lot of people have interpreted Deuteronomy 24 as just the opposite, because we tend, you know, we talked about exegesis versus asegesis. Exegesis, let this text speak for itself. As Jesus is, I'm going to read into it my own perspective. And we tend to take our understanding of what, you know, marriage is and divorce is, and then we tend to read into it in the scriptures. That's not how God speaks. That's you uh, twisting the scriptures to your own destruction, you know, if, if that's what you want to do. But there are possibly um, three, and maybe even more, three possibilities, but why... Did God forbid remarrying the first spouse again? And This is a big debate. Why isn't a woman allowed to remarry her first spouse? First possibility, um, potentially, because of prostitution of a wife. Uh, and apparently this goes on in Muslim countries to this day, and it was very something very common back then, that uh, a man would divorce his wife for a night, give her to another man, and then take her back. Uh, and just, just total, that's tre- treating women as property. And that's the way it was done. And they didn't have any law to address that. Uh, they were, you know, doing that. And um, In fact, again, it goes on in many countries apparently today. Uh, this law would, um, would, would forbid that. It would just stop that. Number two, he can't just casually send away his wife. He can't get rid of his wife. And then, oh, I'll take her back again. uh, And then I'll, I'll, you know, get rid of her again. It raises the stake of marriage and divorce. And well, it should. You know, again, it's not saying divorce is okay, but it's saying if you're going to divorce, you're going to do this. It needs to cost you something. That's the idea. And so, in order to just kind of make this idea, you've got this mess, divorce, remarriage, divorce, remarriage. You've got to... You know, women, especially in this situation in that time, needed some help. And, you know, we had a dear man come to our church one time and made a comment that I would find out later. And You know, I'm glad I'm a pastor, uh, but because you you get to fall back on every single thing you say, you know. And believe me, I have spoken out of turn so many times where I said something or expressed my, and boy, you hear it. And that's okay. That's how I grow. Hopefully, I'm not making the same stupid mistakes I made 30 years ago, you know, hopefully. Uh, but that, you know, that's so, be gracious with evangelists, because they can just come in and say whatever they want, and then they can blow out, and that's what they do. So we had a guy come in, and, and, you know, he made some callous statement offhand, and I don't think he intended, but he was. He basically said that, you know, divorced people are, you know, they're like excess baggage, or I, I forget how he said it, but you know, we have some divorced people here, and it's just, ooh, it was cringeworthy. You know, it was real cringeworthy. But folks, God, in addressing this, uh, He understands. And I my heart breaks anyone that's been through a divorce. When I hear someone that's been through a divorce, I just automatically know, this dear person has had some pain in their life. They've had some pain in their life. And they need great compassion, great love, and the church should be giving that. Um. So again, that could be the po- second possibility of, of why. Now remember, this bill of divorcement, in a sense, it really did. It protected the wife. It, it released her from being under the authority of a, of a husband uh, after he put her away, and he was not meeting her needs, he was not treating her right, and, and he did not get to do with her whatever he wanted at whim. And so this bill of divorcement, the certificate of divorcement, was actually to protect the woman. And then there's a third possibility, and there's a whole article, maybe even a book written by um, a guy by the name of Raymond Westbrook. Uh, I think this article's online, or this maybe the book, The Prohibition on Restoration of Marriage in Deuteronomy. And he goes into the Hebrew word ketubah, which was the dowry. And he, in great detail, explains, and he's convinced that uh, there was a great abuse going on that had to do with dowry, and and again, we don't understand this Jewish marriage and the system back then, or some of these other cultures, but it had to do with, you know, when a wife, the wife's dowry, and that there was certain, the way it was going on with this whole divorce and remarriage, that there was ways, and apparently was happening, where a guy, if he played his cards right, to use the phrase today, could end up getting a double dowry uh, and the wife had no say in her possessions and that this one of the reasons for Deuteronomy 24 was to immediately stop that practice. So, you know, these are possibilities and clearly Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4 was written to protect the women at a time when they needed it. Now we fast forward, let me just throw this in. We mentioned this in our Bible study that there was a big debate going on in Jesus' day. And and it's communicated very clearly in the Jewish Talmud, in Mishnah, uh, in the Mishnah, Gittin, Gittin, chapter nine and verse ten. Uh, that there were so many takes on this. There was the the House of Shammai. Uh, they took they were the more conservative in interpreting Deuteronomy 24, and they focused on this phrase: a man should divorce his wife only because he has fa- uh, he found grounds for it in unchastity. That's the way it's worded there. In other words, here, look at, look at Deuteronomy chapter 24 and verse 1. When a man had taken a wife and married her, and it come to pass that she find no favor in his eyes, because she had found some uncleanness. Many people believe that's a reference to sexual immorality. And therefore, and remember, this was the conservative side that said the only reason that she can get this bill of divorcement is if there's been infidelity in the marriage. That was the house of Shemai. Again, because he found in her an indecency. Now, then there was the other side, the house of Hillel. They focus on this. Again, going back. Um, the man had taken a wife and married her. And it come to pass that she find no favor in his eyes. They focus on that. And they say, you know what? Any reason. They, she can do, He can divorce her for any reason. If she spoiled his dish, she didn't wear her hair right, you know. There's any reason that she can just divorce her husband, or he can, rather, he can divorce his wife. In fact, there was another school, even under that side, that said uh, even if he found someone prettier than her, because it says he, you know, she, that he, she found no favor in his eyes. So he got all these interpretations, but you've got two predominant takes with various branches of it the house of Shammai, the house of Hillel, and this was the debate of Jesus' day. So in Matthew 5, Matthew 19, Mark and Luke, when the the scribes and Pharisees are asking him about this, that Moses permitted this, they're going back to Deuteronomy 24, they were asking him to comment on this situation. And by the way, he wasn't so much agreeing with the, the house of Shammai and he did, it was like, he was, he was definitely repudiating the house of Hillel. Like, no, God never intended it. And that's why he said, have you not read in the beginning, God made them male and female? And he goes back to, this is what God intended originally. So he's definitely refudiating the house of Hillel. But now, let's, so now let's go back to Deuteronomy chapter 3. We're, we're running out of time here. Aren't you glad I just stuck to verse 1? We'd, we'd, be, we'd be here until midnight if I went any further. So they say, if a man put away his wife and she go from him and become another man, she shall return unto her again. Shall not that land be greatly polluted? And that's what Deuteronomy 24 it says um, In verse 4, Deuteronomy 24, 4 Her former husband would send her away, may not take her again his wife. After that she is defiled. And we gotta talk, gotta take a couple minutes to talk about this word defiled. For that is an abomination before the Lord, and thou shalt not cause the land to sin, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance. This is what Jeremiah is focusing on. Israel, as a wife, has committed multiple idolatries in playing the harlot. And now, the issue is, God is addressing, and God's saying like, you want to come back to me? And then he brings out this idea that... um, Shall not the land be greatly polluted? You have played the harlot. Uh, So let's let's look at this idea, defilement, and then we'll just end with this part because it talks about being defiled. Um, The remarriage—if a man got divorced, remarried a second wife, then a third or whatever, and then tried to go back and have you know go back to that first marriage—that would. That would be a defilement. And and let's understand, the word defile, when somebody's defiled, that idea, just defilement, does not imply that someone has sinned. There's a difference between pollution, the land is polluted, versus defilement. Defilement was part of the Hebrew law that a lot of it just dealt with everyday issues, that didn't automatically imply that someone had committed sin. For example, uh, if you touched a, a dead body, you were unclean for so many days. You were defiled. That did not mean you sinned. And there were certain things that you had to, you know, offer this certain offering, and you had to wait so many days. Um, and, and that would have happened. That happened a lot when people lost a loved one; they had to bury them. Uh, that would happen, and they would just simply do what the law required. Uh, wait the amount of days c- give the certain offering and then and then they'd be clean and it wasn't that they sinned if a a a, ba- a mother not the baby doesn't have the mother if a mother had a baby, she would be unclean for a certain amount of time for a boy a certain amount of time for a, a girl, a certain amount of time, and she had to wait that time then, like Mary remember she had to go and make an offering, rich people would have something more expensive, poor people like Mary offered some turtle doves and then and then they would be clean again. Mary certainly didn't commit sin. In fact, she didn't even commit physical relationship. But according to the law, again, the idea of being defiled in that context did not automatically mean that you sinned. But it was more of a reflection on a relationship. Let me see, and this may not be the perfect illustration, but I think it will convey a little bit. In a relationship... Someone's perspective, um, someone you care about, their perspective means a lot. Now, we live in a day, that we used to live in a day, where manners were very important. And one area of manners is, is I'm going to bring up, because my kids have challenged us on this many times. I have taught, I've tried to teach my kids proper table settings. Now, some of you Liberians may be laughing at us, because I don't know, or in your e- Ethiopian, I don't know Talal, if they have... But in America, you know, I grew up and there was a, a proper way to set a table. Some of you know that? Like, I mean, the knife had to be here. The, the spoon had to be here. On the on the certain side of the plate, the knife, the spoon, the knife, and then the fork. See, kill going through, you know. And, and I think I'm getting it right here, you know. And uh, so when I would teach the kids to set the table, I'd say, okay, this is the way you do it. And they're like, well, why do we have to do that? Because that's a proper etiquette. That's the way you're supposed to do it. Says who, you know. Now, is that a matter of, well, you sin if you don't do it? No, it's just, it's something, it's somebody that, you know, somebody that, it's somebody set it up long ago, and it's just, it is, you know, it's a sign of etiquette. And here's the thing, God, in his laws, some of them, we, we're not, we don't even know why necessarily he articulated certain things, but he said, you do this, and, and we know now that, for example, some of the ceremonial laws, we know now, based on germs and things they didn't know about, that that some of that stuff was had to do with hygiene. God didn't explain it, but He said, you know, this He was doing it for their benefit, and no doubt that some of the things we still don't know, God had a reason for it. But it was more, for example, the idea of when you have a child, you're unclean. Touch a dead body, someone you loved that died, and you were there. You haven't sinned, but you've defiled yourself, so you got to go through the ceremony. To become clean, and it was more not about the specific, you know, table settings. Like, oh, well, why is he calling us to do these ridiculous things? It was more of this is a this is consideration for our relationship with God. And so God established this thing, and He said, "Listen." And we've already speculated on some of the reasons why God established Deuteronomy twenty four one through four. But the bottom line is, God said, if you ignore this. You will defy the land. In other words, you are totally disregarding my perspective. And many people will be like, who cares? I think this is a stupid rule. I don't want to do it. And and now God is saying, and as Jeremiah is laying out this question, again, he says, If a man put away his wife and she go from him and become another man's, shall he return unto her again? And all the Jews would have said, no, that Deuteronomy 24, we know. You know, okay, the first marriage, you know, God allows divorce. Second marriage, the third, you know, God allows that. But you can't go back to that first. If you've gotten remarried, you can't go back to that first husband. They all knew that. So they would have answered this, no. He says, shall not the land be greatly polluted? They're like, of course it would. They all knew that. And this is one of those things, and I'll, I'll close with this, but this is exactly, Jeremiah's doing exactly what Nathan did in Second Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 through 7. He comes to David and he talks about these two guys. Each of them have lambs. Remember that story? Cutesy little thing. And he's just asking, he said, David, what do you think of the situation here? You know what, let's, give me a minute. I've got a minute. Try to make it the quickest minute in your life. Okay, Deuteronomy chapter 12. Let me just read this, scan through this really quickly. Because this is what Jeremiah was doing. Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 1. And the Lord sent Nathan unto David, and he said unto him, Uh, There were two men in one city, and one rich, and the other poor. And the rich man had exceeding many flocks and birds. But the poor man had nothing, save one little ewe lamb, which he brought up and nourished up, and it grew up together with him and he named it no i added that with his children it did eat of his own meat drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter and there came a traveler unto the rich man and he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that was coming unto him but he took the poor man's lamb and dressed it and for that man uh, for the man that was coming in so he took that the he took the pet of his neighbor the pet lamb And he slaughtered it and said, we're going to have lamb tonight, O visitor. And what was David's response? I love this, verse 5. The same response as ours would be, what inconsideration. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this shall surely be put to death. By the way, that was really severe. That was not in the law. He shall restore the lamb fourfold. That was part of the law. Because he did this thing and because he had no pity. So David is seething. He's not thinking straight. And then, of course, you know what Nathan says. Thou art the man. Now, in this scenario in Jeremiah 3, Jerusalem and Israel was referred to as the the woman. Jerusalem was a woman. And God's using this relationship of unfaithfulness. And By the way, we we will look eventually at at, uh, Hosea and his relationship with Gomer, who was a prostitute was simply to illustrate the same thing that Jeremiah is trying to communicate to them And so you know here he's saying he's setting them up you know if, and, and he's given them the law they all knew this they were all they were okay with it they had lived it they had understood it if you get divorced, you remarry you can't go back to your first husband uh, that would be an abomination that would defile the land they understood that and then in Jeremiah chapter 3 Jeremiah says, but thou hast played, thou art the woman, it's like he's saying, you know. Thou hast played the harlot with many lovers. And then we'll pick up with that, that next statement and into the following where he says, Yet return again to me. The idea is, and you want to come back to me? And that's the whole issue. That's why I call it strolling back to God. Like, if we have this attitude that, you know what, I, I, can, I can get right with God anytime I want. You know, when it's more convenient, I want to get serious about my relationship with the Lord. I can do that. You know, if you're a child of God, Hebrews 12 comes in. That's grounds for God to say, you know what? If you're just going to play around, you'd be better off in heaven with me. And he's done that lovingly. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Help us as we look at this whole story and this whole scenario and challenge of, of your challenge through Jeremiah to the people of Israel. Father, thank you for the way that you help us to see around those mental hindrances that keep us from seeing things clearly. And uh, Lord, I know that um, from what we understand that the people never took heed to Jeremiah's message. But Lord, as we study this, we see your love, your long-suffering, your patience with them, And we know that that's what we experience every day. Thank you for that, Lord. I pray for those that have strayed from you, uh, that you would use this message to return them to you, that they would realize how serious it is, uh, that you love them, and that you're chasing them to bring them back into fellowship with you. I pray that you'd get their attention. And Father, thank you that, as we'll find out next week, that you, you would have taken them back in great love. Father, help us to understand that the goodness of God leads us to repentance. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. All right, let's take our hymn books out, please.